I find that every day there are challenges and every month there are things that get thrown at you that you just are not anticipating. So I, I definitely, yeah, try to accept a little bit more sometimes the position that I'm in and then I think there's something really powerful in accepting it and then I kind of try to move to more of a solutions-focused kind of mentality. So, okay, this is what it is and this is where I am. It's I don't necessarily want to be here but this is where I am and then what can I do to improve the situation from here? What can I do to learn from what's happening right now so that I don't land back here? And I think as soon as you get into a more solutions-focused mindset, it's, it's really empowering. Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello and welcome to episode six of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. I am absolutely delighted today to be bringing you a chat that I had recently with an amazing and inspiring and just all-round lovely small business owner. Phoebe Bell is the woman behind one of the most coveted homewares brands in Australia, Sage and Claire. Actually, I should mention this is not just a homewares brand. As of recently, it is also an apparel brand. And while Sage and Claire is loved and it's hugely successful, homewares wasn't actually an industry Phoebe ever really saw herself being in. As she dives into during our chat, her career started in a completely different field. And it was only while she was on holiday overseas with her husband, Chris, that the idea of starting a product business even came to light. But as we all know, having an idea for a business is one thing. Getting that business to a point where it runs smoothly, where you have staff, where you have offices, where you can completely trust that the process is working, particularly when a large portion of that process happens overseas, is a different thing altogether. In this interview, we dive into what it's like to manufacture your products overseas and build a team and how long it can take to get to a point where you feel confident in those things. And Phoebe also discusses other business challenges she's faced, such as dealing with negativity on social media and the health implications that can happen when work becomes all-encompassing. Now, I'm fortunate to have met Phoebe recently as we live in the same part of Melbourne and we belong to the same book club and I can vouch that she is one of the warmest, funniest and loveliest people around. If you follow Sage and Claire on Instagram, like, you know, 150,000 plus other people, you will be familiar with her hilarious sense of humour, her transparent nature and her engaging personality. And in this interview, she is no different. This is a really honest, down-to-earth chat, and I so appreciate and value the insights that Phoebe shares from the last eight years of running her business. If you have ever wondered what it's like to build a product-based business from the ground up, particularly if you're thinking about manufacturing overseas, then this podcast is for you. 
Here it is, my interview with the amazing Phoebe Bell, founder of Sage and Claire. I hope you enjoy it. So welcome, Phoebe. Thank you so much for being on the My Daily Business Coach podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. How's 2020 going? I know it's been pretty stressful for a lot of us. We've had like the bushfires and then COVID, but you also have your business and you have your second baby on the way and you've got some health issues with that and COVID and so much on your plate. How are you feeling right now? I don't think anyone really was fully prepared for what 2020 would bring. I knew some of the challenges, as you mentioned, I am I think I'm 35 weeks pregnant now and I need a double hip replacement. So that's not particularly conducive, those two things. So that's a little bit of a challenge. But yeah, then I guess coronavirus has certainly been a challenge. So nothing's really gone to plan this year, but I don't think anyone else is any different. So it's just been... Yeah, challenging, but both good as well. It sort of made me get really creative and feel probably even more determined than ever at different moments to just keep what I've built alive and keep my team happy and keep everybody in jobs. And yeah, there's there's good good parts and bad parts, I think, to, to 2020, but it's certainly one that I don't think any of us will forget. <laughs> Not at all. And you can tell your son or daughter all about, you know, the fun stuff that happened just before their arrival. I know. I feel sort of sorry. I'm not sure whether, you know, when they say, oh, yeah, I was born in 2020, whether <laughs> they'll just get this kind of glazed look from people who would just like never, ever say that word. <laughs> or whether it'll be, you know, an interesting story at some stage down the track. Yeah, it'll be like when, I don't know, not the same, but when kids are born in wartime or something. And Exactly. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. But you are the founder of Sage and Claire, and a lot of people will know about your incredible business and, you know, heard about it in the introduction just now if they haven't heard about it before. But what is Sage and Claire and when and how did it actually start? Like was there a catalyst for you starting it? Did you have a background in homeware before? No, I didn't. So Sage and Claire is a is a, it's a homewares and lifestyle brand really kind of celebrating the handmade and the colourful. So that's kind of always been the ethos of the of the brand. But, yeah, it's funny, the catalyst, because it was sort of not one thing that led me there particularly, but a whole kind of bunch of different events and probably observing even things in my upbringing and things like that that, that led me to eventually do it. So I'd gone off to study. I'd was absolutely certain I was going to be a lawyer. So off I went and did law, media and communications. And as I was nearing the end of those degrees, I kind of really wondered whether that was the right path for me. So that was a little bit of a tricky time because I'd spent six years studying and then kind of got to the end and really didn't feel that that was the right way for me to go. So I was I was pretty lost, I'll, I'll admit. But I kind of really drilled down to thinking about what I just do out of passion and love. And I realised that a lot of that came down to kind of immersing myself in interiors and fashion and travel. And I was, yeah, I realised I was a really visual person. I'd never identified as someone that was creative, but I kind of, that was what, what I gravitated towards. So 
I got a job as a stylist at a leading kind of fashion brand in Australia and I thought that that was it. I thought that I found my career and I was going to be super happy doing that, but it wasn't quite the environment that I thought it would be, so it was quite a toxic environment. So back to the drawing board, I think, and realised as well throughout that process that maybe I needed more than just a creative outlet. I wanted to be able to utilise other parts of my skill set as well, probably some of what I've learned in law and media and communications. So, yeah, went off to India as well at this time. So just went on a little trip to India, spent a Christmas over in India that was a bit of a spontaneous trip. And my husband at the time over there said, why don't you just start a homewares business? <laughs> and I was like, why Why would I do that? And he said, because you love it. It's like you love interiors and you love textiles and it lights you up and I can see it when you when we're looking going through the markets and so why don't you just do that so I don't even know how he convinced me that that was some kind of good idea (laughs) I came back I quit my job and within two months I was back in India with pretty much not the faintest clue what I was doing but had decided I was going to start this this brand called Sage and Claire Wow, what what a trip from law school to, you know, the markets in India. Yeah. When you said before that, you know, when I looked at my passions, and I think that's a really important thing because then you just actually enjoy what you do and work is such a huge part of our lives. Hmm. But was your upbringing, like were your parents into fashion or homewares or textiles? Like were they super creative and were they business owners? Like was there, did you grow up in that family that you could then say, oh, okay, when your husband said that, yeah, okay, I could see that that's a viable option. Mm -hmm. Were they like that? Not really. I mean, my parents definitely kind of raised me to, I guess, as a lot of parents do, just raise me to think that I could kind of do whatever I wanted to. So I sort of had their blessing when I started. But no, there wasn't a kind of entrepreneurial upbringing or anything like that. They weren't in their own businesses at all and probably followed largely quite normal career paths, I guess. But I think the thing that kind of resonated with me from my upbringing was that my mum, you know, before she had my sister and I, she was, she had, a, you know, good successful careers and at some parts of their life was really the breadwinner between my mum and my dad. And then when she had us, she kind of really took that back seat. So she raised us and she took many, many years off work and then worked part-time to kind of work around, you know, what family life entails. So that was lovely. But as as the years went on, they actually divorced and it kind of, I realised the sacrifice that she'd made and just the position that she found herself in following that divorce. And it was, I realised that she yeah, she didn't have a lot to fall back on. She suddenly was in a position where she had to kind of earn an income, but she didn't have a great career at that point. She didn't have a lot of, you know, really up-to-date skills and things like that because she'd really thrown herself into family life. So I think for me that was something that I found really difficult to to watch and to see and I kind of realised I don't, I just don't really want to be in a position where I have to choose between work 
and kids. And I was really worried that if I went down a kind of traditional law path, that that would be really difficult for me to to really love and be super driven and determined in my career as a lawyer, but also have the flexibility to be around for my kids. So it was, yeah, it was, it, it in some strange way led me to kind of considering what life would be like if, if I had my own business. Yeah. So not direct influence, but kind of the story and the growing up with that influenced your decision to give it a go, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, different work and family and parenting solutions are right for different people, but I just sort of knew that I, like, wanted to work. I always wanted to work. I really love working. I love throwing myself into something. So, yeah, I I just sort of knew even in my early 20s that that was really important that to try and have both both of those things as much as I could, obviously, <laughs> having a business all the things you don't learn is that you end up working probably more than what you do sometimes than if you worked in a job for somebody else but at least you sort of can to some extent have a little bit of choice around when you work and where you work and those sorts of things so yeah no I completely agree and I'm the same like hats off to parents who stay home full-time but I, I couldn't do it personally myself because I'm like you, I love working as well. And it fulfills me. And I think I'm a better parent because I also have that side of myself. Yes. Yeah. And on that note, like you've, you've just said, you know, sometimes you do have to work extra hours and you have to go around the clock and you have to, you know, deal with staff and suppliers and in your case, manufacturers and all of that stuff. And sometimes it's not like I have in my book, it's called Passion, Purpose, Profit, because I think it's great to have passion and it's great to have like, I've got a purpose-led business, but there also needs to be a profit. Otherwise, you know, it's just, you're just going to be full of resentment. Yeah. But in the times when financial gain wasn't like a key motivator, and probably it isn't a key motivator still, but what is kind of the why behind your business? So like when you started it, what kind of has kept you going even in the times when it's been a bit tough? Like what is the kind of Simon Sinek's why behind what you do? Yeah, it's funny. I've been reading a book called Phosphorescence, which is about, I guess, moments of awe. So in in part, that's what it's about. So finding kind of awe-inspiring moments and not to sound really cheesy, but I think that is what's kept me going and that's really the why behind Sage and Claire. I actually, when I experience beauty and it can take many different forms, but when I see something that's beautiful, it actually like it it actually has a sort of physical impact on me. Like I kind of sometimes get a bit breathless and I my heart starts racing a little bit and it's just this kind of moment of of just this sort of like pang of inspiration and there's so many different places to experience that. But I think for me that's almost the why behind Sage and Claire. I want to give people possibly that experience. Obviously beauty is different for every person, but if, you know, one or two or ten people kind of stumble across what we do and the products that we make and the way that we put that together and have that kind of moment of just appreciation for that, I think that's really special even though it's just a visual kind of fleeting possibly experience that's kind of kept me really focused on what we do and 
making sure that what I bring to the world might might inspire people. That that's sort of it, it sounds really corny, but that that's honestly the the truth of it. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it sounds corny at all. And I think like you and I both live in a part of the world that is very beautiful. And mm. like from my perspective, I feel like moving to this this very bushy part of Australia even just that beauty, like that can just completely change my mood if I've been in a stressful situation in the city or something and I come, our road kind of curves around and the minute that I see that curve, it's like everything in my body just relaxes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, even this morning, it's like this amazing misty morning and it makes even the experience of winter and things being a bit cold and sometimes in the city it can be a bit grey, but here it's just really beautiful and it and sometimes I feel like creative people and maybe creative contribution gets a little bit dismissed for just being superficial or, you know, I guess we're not saving lives, are we? But I think what it can do for people is is enormous in terms of mood and well-being and I think to be surrounded by beauty is is a really special thing and whatever beauty looks like for for, for you really. Yeah, oh, I could not agree more. There's a really amazing podcast, which is with Krista Tippett from On Being and John O'Donoghue, the late great Irish poet, and he talks in depth about how beauty is just, it's a key part of being human. So I think mm-hmm. I totally agree sometimes, you know, there can be this, oh, it's superficial to get that pot plant holder or to get that blanket, or but it, it's like, well, if those little things give you a touch of beauty each day, they're, long-term they're contributing to you know, you being in a better mood, that helps your whole family, helps your community. Like it's it's all just energy. Yeah. But on that note, I would have also thought that you probably saw a lot of awe-inspiring things in India, which is which is where, am I correct, that the bulk of your products are made, handmade? In India. Yeah, that's right. And so what was it like? Obviously, you went there first and you're with your husband, but you've also spent a lot of time in India since you started the business. And what's that been like, you know, being a foreigner? I'm guessing that you don't speak Hindi or Punjabi. I mean, that's a, a guess. Maybe you do. I don't. I always said that I would learn and then I just, you know, I think I got about 10 words in and that was, yeah. I don't know. So what's it been like being, you know, a foreigner and, and trying to get things made or and and just not really knowing 100% how that whole system works and how the country works and what are the kind of cultural barriers or language barriers what's that been like for you uh I mean India India holds a really special place in my heart I feel like it's kind of in many ways totally changed the course of my life so there's a lot of awe-inspiring moments in India but there's also a lot of I would say pretty challenging moments it's it's not a place that I think you can travel to and not come back kind of unchanged in some way it really triggers different things in people Uh, I've seen it with countless people that I've been with and when I go you kind of have certainly some some tricky moments and some moments where they're really quite confronting so but I kind of love it for that as well it just like moves you right out of your comfort zone and I think that's quite hard to to find more and more these days. So I kind of do love that side of it. And I have, yeah, I've spent a lot of time there. So I think when I started and when we first went there, I'd be there for kind of two to three months at a time because I felt the need to really 
be there to fully immerse myself in what I was doing because I just had no idea what I was doing. I had no connections. I had absolutely no idea how to go about finding suppliers. I had no idea how to export goods out of India. Just I didn't even really understand the process of how textiles are made. So that's been a real journey and it's something that I still probably am. I I still, every time I go, I learn a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. And it's... It is interesting because I guess everything, all the assumptions that we make here about how business is done or business custom or how women might be treated or how men might be treated, you know, it's all just flipped on its head when you go there. So, like, I I remember many times at the start because I didn't really have a business necessarily, like I, I was starting a business but I had absolutely nothing to stand behind and I'd often have to get my husband on the phone while I had meetings with them face-to-face, so my husband back in Australia, because otherwise I just wasn't taken seriously. So there's there's been always a lot of creative ways to kind of navigate the differences, but I think as well, like, I mean, I've been going eight years now and it's still just a place that absolutely mystifies me and I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever fully make sense of it. I would love to go to India. My in-laws are actually from India and we keep meaning to go, but every time I've had something big over there, like a wedding, I've been pregnant and it's been the right time or I've just had a new baby. So it's like, oh, a lot of people would look, well, and it's it's a really hard conversation now because we're in the middle of coronavirus, but Mm. You know, a lot of people in Australia do get their products and all over the world made in another country. So whether it's, you know, from Europe getting it made in like Romania or Spain or, you know, from this part getting it made in parts of Asia. So is there advice now that you have been doing this for eight years? What kind of advice would you give to someone else who's listening to this and is like, oh, I've got an idea and it would mean manufacturing overseas? Are there any kind of key tips or advice that you'd give out? I mean, there's so much research and discovery that you can do do online but that's also fraught with a whole lot of risk I think you don't need to kind of look far or to find and hear about people that are being scammed and there's so many different things that can happen so I can't even stress how important it is to go there it's just both to kind of understand where it is that you're looking to produce to understand how they work you want to you might be tossing up between a few different suppliers and nothing can really beat just going there and meeting meeting them yourself and and being shown around and asked to see all the different components of that of that business or that supplier so i think that's yeah kind of number one i often hear people who start businesses and they've never ever been over to to their supplier but i yeah i think it's a, I don't know. I I think there's a lot of importance and a lot of benefit to going and really seeing who it is that's making your your goods. So that would be number one. And there's also lots of trade fairs and things like that in a lot of these countries. So I didn't actually know that when I started. So I was literally almost walking the streets trying to find different suppliers in different parts of India. But there are trade fairs and there are places that you can go now that can help you maybe make those first connections and contacts and then from there you can actually go and visit visit them in 
where they make those things. And then, I mean, I spent months at a time there initially because I really wanted to be across that production process because I found as soon as I left, things just kind of fell apart a little bit. So since then, obviously, that's not really super realistic anymore. But I have a team in India. So again, I'd make sure that you have someone on the ground that can be kind of checking the progress, checking the quality control, making sure that things are being made as you've specified, because there's a lot that can happen from the moment you submit a design to when it arrives <laughs> on your doorstep. And my experience when there hasn't been those checks and someone on the ground is that you can get something very different to what you anticipated. <laughs> yeah, you hear so many horror stories <laughs> like that. Yeah, you, yeah, you really do. And even with people there, you sometimes get things, you know, quite different. So, yeah, I think it's quite important to find someone to advocate for you really, someone to really push forward what it is that you want to have made, make sure that it's made the way that you've specified it, make sure that it's produced to the right quality, make sure that the timelines are met. There's a lot of different components of what you need to consider, but you really just need an advocate, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, and this is probably most important, I think you've just got to trust your your instincts. I've definitely been to different suppliers who everything looks shiny and fantastic and it looks really professional and but I've just had this weird gut feel and it's amazing how many times various things have happened that have have proven me right in that in that instance and it's when you're trying to set up manufacturing overseas you know maybe if you're lucky you've got someone who has some experience with them and can vouch for that manufacturer but I didn't have that. Most businesses would never tell you who manufactures their goods. Mm. So you really just have your own gut to go by and at some point you've got to just take that leap of faith. But the best thing you can do, I think, is just listen to those instincts and if it's just screaming out like, no, this is wrong, then just walk away. Wow. So, so many good tips there. And yeah, it sounds like a minefield and you're out the other side. So it's really good to get advice from someone. Who sort of, sort of. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. It's every single season. There's something to be learned. I can't even, yeah, I can't even explain. I have so many things kind of set up now and I've learned so much along the way, but yeah, I, the goalposts shift all the time and, and, and every single season throws up different challenges. Yeah, and you're in the middle of it right now again with Corona. Right. <laughs> yep. So obviously India has been a huge component of the business and another component from the outside at least it seems is social media because you don't have a bricks and mortar store. You're, you're, you've got you know heaps of stockists that do but you're mainly an online brand outside of the stockists, is that right? You're at sageandclair.com, just.com? Yep, just.com. And so social media has been a major marketing avenue. So did you get help originally from an agency? Did you just do it yourself? And and can you talk through some of the really good things that have happened on social media and then some of the maybe not so great things? That have <laughs> because there is this love-hate relationship, I think, that small business owners have with social media. Like it's fantastic and it opens up exposure and brand awareness, but it can also, you know, have, have negative sides as well. Yeah. So I... 
you know, I I've, I didn't have any help or anything like that. I didn't engage an agency. It sort of has just been a very, I guess, organic part of the business. So I kind of started out. I mean, I've, I, I've done it myself up until about a year ago. So, but I started out just posting to probably nobody. Like I think I'd celebrate if I got 10 likes, but I guess with discipline, you know, I did post frequently. I just kind of felt that that was, I mean, at the at the time, particularly starting, there was no kind of marketing or advertising budget. So that was really this kind of amazing lifeline, I think. And that's probably what, what maybe, I mean, I know social media gets a bad rap, but I think people forget to talk about actually how mm. amazing that is because the whole way through, you know, my brand, journey at least I've had this opportunity to just talk to our customer without having kind of an agency or having to engage different people and spend big budgets on connecting with them by other means so I think we're really lucky actually to live in a time like we do where there's that opportunity and it's it's essentially free yeah so yeah I just I just kind of plotted along just did my thing initially at the start I was really embarrassed at how small and like you know I I mean you kind of land on the scene and you say yeah I have a business but like at what point does something become a business I don't really know so Sage and Claire was just I mean I was just doing it out of home I had stock in our garage I had stock all over our house it was there was nothing kind of I don't know particularly professional about it so I started out almost pretending like it was bigger than it was so I was like I'd always say we and you know people would sometimes contact me and say can I come and look at something in person and I'd freak out (laughs) you don't even know like I just operate this out of my garage but then I think as time went on I kind of realized hang on a minute big business is you know that they have to say we and it's our and there's not really an understanding of who's behind that brand necessarily but that's not me and maybe that's actually a gift that that's not me so maybe I should actually just start talking a little bit more authentically and talk about who I am and my beliefs in things and the fact that it is a really small business so yeah, I, I sort of pivoted, I guess, somewhere along the line pretty early on and, and started to recognise that there might be some connection there with my audience. They might actually like to know those things. And then, yeah, it's it's really grown very organically from there. And then it was only, yeah, as I said, about a year ago that I realised this is this is like a lot for me to do on my own every day so as a business owner you have a million other things that you need to look at as well so I was literally doing social media every spare moment of my kind of outside of work hours time so it was always done in family time so Mm. I yeah did sort of bring it in house and so I'm still a really big part of it but I have a lovely social media manager Kelly who manages a lot of it now which is amazing and yeah we did engage an agency about 18 months ago as well to look at our paid ads so that's 
also been great because that's not kind of our organic strategy, but they take care of our of our paid advertising across Facebook and Instagram and, and monitor that because I that's like another minefield altogether, which I I don't know a lot about. So I figure let, let's just give it to the professional. Yeah, allow an expert to do that rather than me just throw money down the drain, basically. Yep. And have you had any kind of negative experiences on it? I mean, I, I don't know why you would really, because you're so like, you guys are so positive and, you know, it's colorful and it's happy and you're also real on there. Like you do talk about, you know, challenging moments as well. Has there been anything, even in so far as like social media, just, it can be fantastic, but also your stuff is out there like copycats or anything like that. I, I have seen various copycats of one of your particular designs I feel like every time I've looked for that, then suddenly I see all of these things come up that are mm. kind of a copycat of it. How has social media helped or hindered that? Or do you think that's just going to happen regardless? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, you know, there is a vulnerability to social media for sure. I still feel that. And like, I guess the more the more following you grow as well, the more the more people you open yourself up to. So yeah, like for sure, I've had plenty of negative commentary on there, which is, it's actually, I almost used to check it incessantly because I'd feel like, oh my God, what if someone puts a negative comment up and then someone else sees it and then they get on the bandwagon because that's definitely happened to me before. So I think sometimes there's a little bit of a mob mentality to Mm -hmm. social media, which scares me a little bit. You know, you can kind of put something innocent up and then if you're not kind of checking regularly you can log back on a few hours later and this has happened to me and you're just kind of inundated with this sort of barrage of negativity and it's it's often some of it's fair but often in my experience it's been actually like quite a misunderstanding so that's always like a little bit challenging and I've yeah, I've definitely over the years felt really probably a little bit fearful and a little bit vulnerable of those things happening. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's other things. Sometimes it's it's not a particularly positive comment, but it is good feedback. Like for mm-hmm. instance, we launched apparel recently and you know, we're a really pretty small business. We've never done apparel. We had these kind of minimum order quantities that we had to do. So we just released it in four sizes because that was really all I could manage to do. But as a result of that, we've offended a part of the market who really don't feel like that was a very inclusive mm-hmm. size range, for instance. So in that instance, it's like you get that feedback on social media. It's really good to get that feedback. And I never mind reading that and I think it's great and I'm very kind of thankful to our audience for giving that feedback. But there's always that line where you just hope that it doesn't go into this kind of, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. like I was saying, that kind of mob mentality where something that you've done where you've unintended, it's been very unintended in terms of causing any offence and you've done it because you're restrained by particular things Mm -hmm. can be taken out of context and can be, taken to mean something else so I think that's always a bit of a challenge with social media to kind of hear what people are telling you but also put forward the intention behind what it is that you're trying to say or do 
Yep, yep. And yeah. I think also people just get bored. And so it's almost like they see a kind of, I don't know, like some sort of, it's all like some, I don't know how it works with the mob mentality, but it's almost like they're tempted to like, oh, I'm going to get on this too. Like we had once when I was head of marketing of a company and it was over Christmas, so it was literally me and the head of retail were the only people in the actual head office working and, you know, a post went up and suddenly we had 1,500 comments <laughs> about and we were just like, we were just like joking, getting a cup of coffee, like, oh, yeah, everything's cool. And then it was just like, oh, my God, like mayday, mayday, like what are, how are we going to sort this out? And, and every, you know, like it was just that you have that real thing of like I don't want to delete it because I don't want to be seen that like I'm not letting people have freedom of speech. But then it's also like where are all these people coming from suddenly? To- I know. That's my worst nightmare if that were to happen. Yeah, because as I said, it's like most people are not intending any offence and, and we never intend anything. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people, I guess, sitting on the other side maybe there's so many challenges to having a brand and a business and of course like everyone just kind of comes at it from their point of view so you know I think sometimes maybe people are sort of quick to to perhaps judge when it's just not at all how it's intended or how how it really is but also some of the feedback's really valuable so yeah yeah it can be working both, both ways absolutely so on that note, when you said I moved from saying we and our and pretending there was this big team behind it to you, and now you actually do have a team, but you're still very much the face of the business and, you know, you're on on social media, but also, you know, you're the model in a lot of your kind of campaigns. Or, very unintended, that one, but yeah. I know, you're beautiful, you, 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 got, you got it all. But was it a conscious decision to be the face of the company and also to that point, is it possible for you to give us any advice for a lot of the times when I work with people one-on-one or a lot of the times in, say, marketing workshops that I do, we'll have people come in and they might have been in business for 10 years, but they're realising that there needs to be a human quality to it. And that's a lot of what I talk about, like humanising your brand. But putting their face out there is like so daunting for so many people. They're like, nope, nope, happy to just hide behind the scenes, never, ever show my face, never put a photo on the About Us page all of that stuff. Do you have advice for people who are in business who know they need to get themselves out there a bit more, but they're finding it quite daunting? Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely appreciate how daunting it is. And even still, like, I mean, it might seem like I'm sort of really comfortable, but even still, I find it really daunting at times. So yeah, I think I definitely agree with all of your advice. I think that like that is one of the absolute beauties of of small business and and if you have the ability to tell a story then tell that story and and connect because that's actually what's going to set you apart from your Kmart's and your Targets and your Adairs and all of those brands that, that really don't have that ability to do that. So that's like your kind of secret weapon I think which I definitely identified probably quite early on. That's not to say that the reality of that was easy in terms of being the face. I mean, even being in the photo shoots, like that that sort of really quite organically came about in a way, like I was on a photo shoot and and, and our photographer, Hamel, said, oh, Phoebe's just just stay there, like that looks really great where you are. And I was like, what? No, no, no. Like, I'm not this photo. And she was like, no, trust me, it's fine. And 
I was just thinking, what are you, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then next thing I know, you know, for a lot of the photo shoots, I've kind of been in them, which is very much out of my comfort zone, not really something that I ever kind of intended on doing. But I think what I always come back to with whether to put yourself out there or not is like, I think I'd always prefer to say something or stand for something or have an opinion or all of that. I think I'd always prefer to take that road than just not to do anything or say anything at all. Yeah. So that sort of propels me forward, I think. It makes me go, well, okay, like I might be ridiculed for this. People might say X, Y, Z about me for doing this or but actually at the end of the day at least I'm prepared to to put myself out there and get out of my comfort zone and I prefer to do that every day of the week than not and then possibly just kind of stay quite stagnant and not and just not say anything yeah and I think it also be by putting yourself out there you can talk about like you can talk about a lot more than just a product or just a service and even you know on really tangent kind of maybe superficial levels like I know when I've done like an Instagram story and someone will DM and be like oh my god I love your earrings where are they from and then we're in the whole conversation obviously I don't you know i I sell business coaching and workshops, but you can get in this whole other conversation and then you're almost making these kind of friendships over things that are not necessarily just to do with what you are selling on on there. Yeah, I agree. On that note, so you, you know, you you've been in this business for a long time now. Where do you seek advice or mentorship? Or do you have like a business coach or do you have podcasts or books or websites or who who helps you? you know, with your business journey? Is there anything you could recommend to others? Yeah, I I guess probably across like the life cycle of my business, it's it's sort of changed a little bit. I felt like at the start I didn't I didn't really have a lot of that guidance or assistance. Like it was a little bit tricky, but I've definitely I think one just building some sort of small business network around you, whether that's just yeah, like for instance, you and I are in a book club, but we can have a conversation about our businesses. We have very different businesses, but I think having people around you that maybe are in small business, it doesn't need to be the same, but there's so many similar challenges. So that's been really helpful. Like I've definitely connected with people and probably more and more have been able to do that. And I like I find that really helpful and cathartic, even if I'm not necessarily pulling out any tangible oh I've got to go run off and do that it's it's just it's just helpful like it it's sometimes a really solitary existence when you even if you have a team when you run a business so I think to be able to find that community of other business owners is is important and then I haven't had kind of specific mentors or I haven't kind of sought anyone out as a formal mentor but about 18 months ago, I actually got a, sounds like the very uh, kind of trendy thing to do. I actually got a life coach. So oh, yeah. that's been really helpful for me as well, because some of the challenges I guess you have as a business is is, is a lot to do with mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been really helpful. It helps me kind of navigate 
where the real limitations are possibly and where the limitations are that are just set by by me and my mindset and possibly how that's impacting my path so that's yeah that's been quite an important addition I think to to my strategy and making sure that I have a really healthy mindset and I'm not kind of sabotaging different things or I'm not limiting myself or my business because of maybe some beliefs that I have so that's yeah that would be another another area and then well I it's going to sound like I'm plugging you Fiona but I absolutely love your Sunday night emails like so there's so many things like that there's books and there's podcasts and like this one I'll no doubt be choosing (laughs) all the other episodes but yeah I find podcasts really good I've, I've sort of got a few saved like I've got the Tim Ferriss show, which is pretty fascinating, some of the interviews and Superwomen We Ain't and there's a kind of, I think, of like he's sort of like my marketing god, Seth Godin, who has yeah. a podcast called Akimbo. I just absolutely love that. Yeah, so we're so lucky. There's so many resources. There's so many books and, as I said, like your email, there's podcasts. <laughs> There's so many resources. I think we're kind of in a really interesting time in terms of celebrating entrepreneurs and small business and people kind of having a go. And there's, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And I did not pay Phoebe to like, when I asked this question, you know, plug all my stuff, but thank you. Yeah, I agree. There's just an abundance of education out there and it's it's just on offer and a lot of it is free as well. So there's just really no barrier to kind of upskilling yourself. Mm. you have gone through a lot of stress I would say and like you said we're in a book club together and I'm always inspired by how like funny you are and you're just you're like positive and upbeat and even just the fact that you attend all of our book clubs <laughs> even though some of them have been on zoom lately like you've got a excuse in the book to not come because you're heavily pregnant you've got a business you've got all this stuff happening but it seems like you have pretty good oh, what's the word like you take care of your stress in a pretty healthy way, which is not to say I'm sure you do get stressed at times, but do you have advice for people who are in business right now who are feeling really stressed, whether by, you know, manufacturing problems, whether by staff challenges, or if they're just, you know, by themselves and they've got a lot of work on their plate? Do you have advice to someone who's feeling stressed or overwhelmed right now? Yes. And so, I mean, I don't know if I'm like the best person to give advice because I'm certainly not the poster child for like someone that's necessarily looked after themselves particularly well like I think yeah what probably what you see is has been I would say in the last 18 months or two years been you know a conscious change that I've had to make because prior to that I I worked and worked and worked and it was really unsustainable and I you know I I didn't get to a point of burnout but I definitely I definitely teetered on the edge, I'd say, and I think other parts of my life really suffered because I'm just, oh, what can I say? I'm just like a very passionate kind of driven, single-focused girl at times. So if I'm working on something, like I'm working on it and I dedicate everything to that, which is great, but I think over a long-term period, you know, we're talking about kind of five, six, seven years, that's not always sustainable so and I think in terms of 
probably what I've learned and maybe how I've changed a little bit in myself is oh, I think if you have a small business, you actually have to learn to be flexible. Like you cannot just get fixed on any particular outcome. And I mean, what we're going through at the moment couldn't be any more real an example of that. I'm just kind of so glad that I've learned to a large extent that ability to just, it's not that things don't get to me, they do. And it's when things don't turn out like I want them to and things are not tracking along like I want, that's hard. But I just kind of let that wash over me. I sort of I sort of ex- accept to some extent that that is the way that it is rather than trying to force it to be some other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a friend who always says be like water. It's it's sort of like that, like be like <laughs> water. And I think you've got to be when it comes to business. If you get too fixated on outcomes, whether it's in a coronavirus time or not, that is, that's going to cause you so much stress because that's just... I find that every day there are challenges and every month there are things that get thrown at you that you just are not anticipating. So I I definitely, yeah, try to accept a little bit more sometimes the position that I'm in and then I think there's something really powerful in accepting it. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of try to move to more of a solutions-focused kind of mentality so okay this is what it is and this is where I am it's I don't necessarily want to be here but this is where I am and then what can I do to improve the situation from here what can I do to learn from what's happening right now so that I don't land back here and I think as soon as you get into a more solutions focused mindset it's it's really empowering because you can actually just continue moving moving ahead yeah oh, I, I totally agree I'm often saying let's flip the script with my coaching clients and I say <laughs> to myself like let's flip the script like let's look at the best possible scenario rather than fixating on something you can't control or like you said you know these expectations I don't know if it was I think it was Steve Lynch who said unrealistic expectations are pre-meditated resentments so like if you're yeah, having an expectation right. it's you're just setting yourself up <laughs> to resent the fact that it may not turn out the way that you thought it would turn out. And, yeah, I'm, I am 110% with you on the whole solutions thing and just even, like, being aware of the filters that you have. Like, I think everyone, like, I could say, someone could say something in book club, for instance. Let's, let's just shout out our book club again. Um, <laughs> and you would have a filter that that goes through in your mind because of your experiences and background and I would have a filter and we may take something completely two different ways. And I think like in my own business journey, I've had to really be conscious of my filter and to not go down a spiral of like, you know, that client said that because X, Y, Z, or that didn't happen for me because X, Y, Z, instead of just being like, that didn't happen. That's the mm-hmm. fact, you know, let's now look at, you know, get a mindset of curiosity and think about what might happen out of this rather yeah, than. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, like I often say to my team and I've said it, probably more than they really want to hear at the moment, but like, let's not waste a good crisis. You know, I really believe (laughs) there's actually, you know, even in a time like this, gosh, it's like such a challenging time for business, but also I'm kind of overwhelmed by the possibility of what we can do at the moment. And the fact that we can kind of flip all these things on its head and 
you know, we, for instance, we always launch these two big collections every year and it's like I realised pretty early on throughout this, okay, well, we're not going to be able to launch a collection in, in August like we ordinarily would. But what opportunities come from that in terms of how we might launch our products for the second half of the year and we're kind of really it's fun in a way if you can yeah. just if you can yeah have that level of acceptance and say okay like that's not ideal but what opportunities can I create from that and there's always opportunities mm-hmm. there are endless opportunities so thank you so much for this I would love to kind of know you know you've been in business for almost 10 years or we're coming towards 10 years what legacy do you want this business to have? Like what do you want Sage and Claire's legacy to be? That's a really tough one actually. Gosh, I'd, I'd love it if Sage and Claire was around in 20 years and we were still just kind of bringing that sort of beautiful, handmade, joyful, colourful kind of product to people's homes and lives. I, I don't have any like really grand kind of plans for, oh, I want to expand here and I want to do this and want to be the biggest you know I think I just really want to stay very true to what the ethos of the brand is and I would just love it if we were just here in 20 years still doing what we do and still with an audience that absolutely loves what Sage and Claire brings to the world I that would just yeah that would be that would be an amazing result I think and a great and a great like I'd be really proud of that legacy if that if that was what if that was what I could do oh I think you're well on your way given <laughs> the reputation of your business and how much love and loyalty there is for it but yeah thank you so much for being on the my daily business coach podcast what's next and, and where can people connect with you and where can they come and see you all over your <laughs> social media and chat with you where where is the best kind of place for people to connect with Sage and Claire and with Phoebe Bell well, you can jump on my website, which is just sageandclair.com. You can shoot me an email. Love getting emails and hearing from people. So hello at sageandclair.com. Social media, that's like probably where I have quite a lot of my discussions with people. So particularly on Instagram at sageandclair. I'm even, I've even kind of put myself out there even more lately and I've been doing these kind of live, I've, I've been doing, I say I say that like I've been doing heaps of them. I've only done one and I've got another one this week. But yeah, kind of doing live IGTV little series. So you can always pop on there and ask me a question or, yeah, but I'd love to hear from anyone if anyone's got any anything they want to ask or, yeah, just just yeah. much. Or, it, or or maybe they've they've they're gonna listen to this podcast and take some of Phoebe's sage advice. <laughs> but yeah, and, and and let her know what you what you found most useful from today's talk. And I found this really useful. It's such a pleasure chatting to you today and always, but thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting to you as well. Oh, she is such a gem, isn't she? Honestly, I feel like I could just talk to her for days and days and days. If you would like to connect with Phoebe, you can do so over on Instagram at Sage and Claire, or you can check out her fabulous business at sageandclaire.com. I'd love to know what stood out for you most from our interview. I loved so many things, but I particularly loved how honest Phoebe was about starting out on social media and not being sure whether she should use we or I when she was speaking about the business. And I love 
that she came to the realisation that showing her true self and showing the true size of her business at the time allowed her to connect on a deeper level with her followers. And I think it's really that honesty and that transparency that has created such a loyal following for Sage and Claire. I also loved when she shared her why, the idea of finding awe and bringing beauty and awe to others every day through the products that Sage and Claire creates. I really believe, and it might sound cheesy, but I do believe that it's the small things that bring us joy daily that add up to a life that we feel has been lived to the fullest and has been lived, you know, with happiness. I also believe that having a strong why, like Phoebe's, can fuel creativity and it helps us remain curious rather than chaotic during the more challenging times in business that we all will face. I'd love to know, like I said, what stood out most to you. So please let me know by tagging at my daily business coach if you share this podcast episode or sending me a DM on Instagram. As always, you can grab the show notes and read through the transcript of this episode over at mydailybusinesscoach.com slash podcast slash six, as in the numeral six, because this is episode six. And thank you so much again, Phoebe, for coming on the My Daily Business Coach podcast. And thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could leave a review on iTunes. That will help us get found by other small business owners who hopefully will find it useful too. Lastly, please make sure you hit subscribe to get access to future interviews as well as tips and coaching sessions that I share here at the My Daily Business Coach podcast. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com.